from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the interview show where I discuss with writers and artists working in comic books and other mediums about their work and about themselves as creators. Today, my guest on the show is Meredith Finch. She is the wife of artist David Finch, and Meredith is an amazing creator in her own right with a proven track record. Meredith returns to the show to talk about her latest work, The Book of Ruth, based on the Bible story, The Book of Ruth. Meredith has updated it for more modern audiences. It is set during the Great Depression in Texas. And the artist on the book is a local talent here in Las Vegas, Colin Dyer. We are going to discover how Meredith met up with Colin, how he was selected for this book, and why Meredith decided to go the route of a Kickstarter campaign for The Book of Ruth, rather than going through her previous publisher of her last work, The Light Princess, Cave Pictures Publishing. Also in this episode, I'm going to discuss with Meredith her current work being published through Marvel Comics, The Age of Conan, Valeria. That's right, going from a biblical story, the Book of Ruth, all the way to the brutal Hyborian Age for a story set in Conan's universe. But as always, Meredith handles the story with great aplomb and depth of character and courage. So if you're not a fan of the standard Robert E. Howard fair of Conan, this is a very interesting take on it and a very good story. And I have a few more questions for Meredith when we kick back with the creator. So let's get started. My interview with Meredith Finch on her Kickstarter, The Book of Ruth and Age of Conan Valeria, published by Marvel Comics. Here now on Creator Talks. Meredith, welcome back to Creator Talks. Thank you so much for having me. You have a Kickstarter running right now. This is the Book of Ruth. The last time we spoke, I think you were alluding to that. I might have even mentioned that there was something you had in the works, and I think this was it. This was exactly it. And because I've been working on it for a year and a half, two years maybe now, first writing the story and then finding the artist, and, and Colin's been drawing the book certainly for almost a year and a half now. So, yeah. It's been on my mind that it was coming, and I've been so excited about it, but now I can finally talk about it. I saw some of the art, and before we got started officially here, you were telling me Colin lives in Las Vegas. Yep, he's in Nevada. We were down in Las Vegas for a store signing, and we stayed at the Hard Rock, and he and his wife, Adrian, came, and we got to meet them, and, and he's such a great guy. It was very nice, because a lot of times in this industry, you don't even get to meet your artist. You just kind of email back and forth. It's nice when you can make the personal connection, especially on a project like this. I hope I can catch up with him sometime. Oh, I'm sure he'll have an <laughs> He'll be happy to see you meet you for a drink. I have to tell you, I'm from the East Coast. You're from the Eastern side. I noticed you do what I do, call it Nevada. Out here, it's Nevada. People say okay. Nevada. You know somebody is not from the area when they say Nevada. <laughs> okay. So I'm trying to break totally. myself with a habit. <laughs> so tell me about the book. This is all in black and white. It is, yes. I had originally had a plan because the story of Ruth sort of goes through this period where they're in a prosperous time, then they go through a time of drought and famine, both actually and spiritually, and then they have another prosperous time. So it's like famine prosperous, famine, prosperous. And that's sort of how the book goes. And I really had this idea originally to sort of do like black and white for the first chapter and then gray tones and then a little bit of color, like full color in the last chapter. But I saw Colin's artwork and I just couldn't bring myself 
to put colors on it. He's just so emotional and raw. And I just felt like that black and white and the, the little bit of like gray tones he's done himself. He's done some airbrushing and some ink washes. It just set the mood so beautifully that after the first couple of pages, I'm like, no, I'm not even going to color it. It just, it would be to ruin something that I think is perfect as it is. Now, this take on the Book of Ruth is set during the Great Depression. So black and white actually seems to make a lot more sense. I've known I was going to do the book for a long time, almost since I started writing comics. I just had this idea that it would work so well because of that idea of famine and, and the struggles that they went through. I, I wanted to bring it into a more relatable time. I sometimes feel like as great as the Bible stories are, you see people walking around in robes and wearing sandals and living in the desert. It, it's hard to relate. You have to work that much harder to sort of make the connection to your own personal life. But I felt like if we could take the story and bring it into a more modern setting and keep sort of all the same elements, it just makes it more relatable and it exposes the story to a, a broader audience. Because I keep saying, like, I know it's a Bible story, but it's not just that. It's just a great story that should be told. I guess it's my job as a writer to tell good stories or to find good stories to tell. And what is the main theme of the story that you are interpreting at a later age, the Great Depression? I wanted the whole idea to be, you know, a story of love and faith. I think that idea of love is sort of a theme that runs throughout all of the books that I've done, it seems like. I don't know if that's, you know, partly an experience of being a mother or being a woman, but it's a theme that I feel like I constantly have different things I want to explore about it. And so that certainly is a theme that runs through this book is just sort of the amount of love that she has and the sacrifices she's willing to make to take care of the people that she loves. How did you go about meeting Colin to work on this? I wrote the first chapter. I had it down. I knew that it was ready to go. And just like I did with Rose, which I had the first issue done, I said, okay, now I have to get an artist. Because if I get an artist, I can't quit. I'm fully committed now. So I wasn't sure how I was going to find an artist. I, I knew I wanted a really specific look for the book. Dave's like, why don't you just put it out on Facebook? So I did. I put a call out on Facebook and on my Instagram and on Twitter and said, I've got a creator-owned project that I'm working on. I was very upfront. It's a Bible-based story. And I'm looking for an artist. So if you want to submit samples, feel free. Colin actually went to SCAD and one of his professors at the college forwarded my Facebook post to him. I believe it was Tom Lyle who, you know, we're praying for because he had a bit of a medical situation, but he had forwarded it to Colin and then Colin responded to the Facebook post. So I woke up the day after I posted it, came downstairs, opened my Facebook and I was like, oh my gosh is this for real? Because this is the guy. You know, I'd seen a lot of artwork the day before and I was like, oh, I'm just, nobody's right. I'm never going to find somebody. And I went to bed that night. I'm like, I said a prayer. I'm like, Lord, if you want me to do this project, it would be helpful if you could find me the right artist to do it. <laughs> and then the next morning I was like, dun da da So there was Colin. Now what struck you about his art that you said, that's the right person for it? I think the same thing that people who've, who've seen the preview art, it's the same thing that the people are responding to. Like, there's a rawness and an emotional quality to his artwork. It draws you into the page. It's an intangible that not every artist has. It's something very special. I just knew immediately that that was totally perfect for the book. 
this is quite an undertaking for him because it's his first graphic novel. Yeah, no, he's done. He did um, some artwork. I believe it was the Noah's Ark display. And then he did some comic artwork for another company. I'm not sure if it's been released or what happened with that. But yeah, this is, it's a big deal to sort of take on a project that's, you know, 100 plus pages before it ever sees the light of day. I appreciate him having faith in me to do that because it's a lot. Dave's doing the same thing right now. It's hard as an artist to not be out there and to feel like you've disappeared. So this is currently ongoing, this Kickstarter, as we're speaking, and you're doing quite well just starting out. You're up to, at this time when we're speaking, 30%? Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I feel so grateful and so blessed that people have been so supportive so far. You know, within the first three days, I think we were almost up to 25%, which I was so unexpected. And then, you know, yesterday we ended up getting Kickstarter recognized as a project we love, which is huge because when they click on that sort of comics and illustration link now, there's, you know, maybe 10 projects that go across the bottom. And I'm one of those 10 now, which is, again, it's so fabulous, so incredible. And it's because people have responded so much to the artwork, I think, and the story and the fact that it's something different. It's something that nobody's doing right now in comics. I feel blessed that Colin has got a really great support network that he's been tapping into. And I just keep pushing it out on my Facebook to everybody and people are sharing it and and words getting out and we very blessed dynamite comics. You know, we've been friends with Nick Brucci for a long time. Dave's been friends with Nick the whole time he's been working in comics. And Nick came on board and supported it today. I'm feeling the love. Where you've been placed is kind of like new and noteworthy on podcasts or iTunes. You know, you're like right there in front when someone goes on. Very exciting. It was very unexpected. It's really good exposure for sure. Now, last time we spoke, it was about the Light Princess and that was through Cave Pictures. And I thought, wow, this it seems like a project that would have worked well for them but you decided to go the Kickstarter route. And I'm wondering why that was. Now, I know this has been a long project for you. So why the choice for Kickstarter? I love working for Cave. I loved doing the project, but I also feel like I don't think they want things to be as overtly Christian with the stuff that they're putting out. They want to have that allusion to it and tap into that sort of stuff. But I felt like maybe it was too much as a Bible story might be a little bit too much from what they wanted to do. I really wanted to see if it was a way to get word out there in a better way using Kickstarter. Like I know people have had a lot of success with Kickstarter and by publishing with Cave, there's because they're still such a small publisher, they're sort of at the back of the catalog and not a lot of people see it. And I thought if I did this through Kickstarter, it might get it out to a bigger audience of people. And then by doing that, then I can say, well, and you can look at this other stuff that I've done that's really applicable. So it can also be a way to, I'm hoping maybe feed back into what I've done with them. And and this is your first Kickstarter? It is, yes. What have you learned so far? Did you have some folks help you out that have experience doing Kickstarters to say, hey, you you might want to plan for this, plan for that, to make it a little smoother for you? The one thing that everybody says is mailing costs. Mm. The mailing costs killed me. So I try to be, because we're in Canada, realistic about how much is it going to cost me to package the materials, mail the materials out, all of that kind of stuff. Hopefully I got, I got that, but you know, at the end of the day, I put a pretty hefty goal out there, but the goal is really to pay for the art. I wanted to, to get an artist who was really great on the book and pay him a wage that he could 
focus on the book with the page rate that he could do it. So it's not the goal. And it's something I wrestle with. I'm like, the goal is really not there because I'm going to make that money that sort of recouping what we put out there so that we can do it again. Like if there's not an interest for the book, then we wouldn't do another one. But we do have, because Colin and I have already been talking about what would we like to do for our next project? Because he's very passionate about this whole idea of retelling biblical stories in a way that's accessible in more in a in a 20th century kind of framework. So it, it's kind of nice, you know, our success with this Kickstarter and people are really excited about the book of Ruth, then it sets us up to be able to do more projects like that. Well, I certainly hope so, because there's a lot of important lessons and morals and values in the Bible. And just like with movies that you will see remade, reimagined, updated for a new audience so they can have people connect with it better, be more accessible to them. It's kind of like when they had that version of the Good News Bible. They changed it a bit so that it was more accessible to people at that time in our culture. So this is a good way to approach it and also at the same time provide a very entertaining story with beautiful art. Now, how far along is Colin with doing the art for the whole graphic novel? He's on page 95 or 96. We're basically done. Like when I started launching the Kickstarter, the book is almost fully drawn. Like I think I ended up writing 102 or 103 pages. So he's almost finished. And then what it'll, it will take, you know, a little bit of time putting together chapter pages and extra like artwork and stuff like that. So maybe I'll include script. I don't know. We'll see. I always like to do more than I say I'm going to do. I can't help myself. I want you to feel like you got value for your dollar. So figuring out that we'll do some like character designs in it and maybe some page layouts and, and make it a, a good thing for, for people to see. And I put April 2020 because I didn't know how long it would be at the printer. But my hope would be that it would be out in January. But I did April 2020, so I have till then. And those other things that you want to do, that you have all these ideas, you can make some of those stretch goals. You know, I mean, <laughs> don't overdo it, but I mean. Oh, yeah, that's what people like, stretch goals. I'm like, what stretch goals? I don't know about that. What stretch goals? So there you go. Thank you. I'll take that as a tip. I need my notebook to write it down. I think a good idea would be for a book like this that's based on scripture would be to have some kind of uh, annotated guide in the back. Like I've seen this in other comics, especially Dynamite 2, Green Hornet and Shadow. And it was tied into history. So they would have, this is what actually occurred. So you could actually tie in sections to kind of parallel it if you wanted to. I'm just throwing oh, it out there. Just an idea. idea. Not trying to give you more work. But uh, <laughs> people might find that interesting. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Besides you and Colin working on this, you have some special covers by some artists people are very familiar with. So please share what else you have in store for backers who want to go at that level. So we have four different variant covers, three of which are on the website right now that people can look at. I think the only one that has colors is Billy's version. So I have one by Jason Fabok, who lives in Windsor, Essex County. He's a, a local boy. So we've known Jason since before he started in comics and he was very gracious and agreed to do a cover for us. And then we got his colorist, Brad Anderson is doing the colors for it and it, it looks beautiful. And then Billy Tucci agreed to do a cover for us as well. And uh, again, he did such a great job. He sort of, his idea was off of the National Geographic cover with the girl in the scarf because we have that one pop of color in the whole book is the red scarf. And then he had his colors West do it. And then Dave, obviously, I can't not have my husband do a cover. So, you know, I twisted Dave's arm and made him do a cover. And then we actually had Colin do the grayscale for that cover. 
so that it really has very much a, the same feel of the book because we really love what he's doing. And then last but not least is Lee Weeks, who is doing a cover for me. And Lee's going to do a little departure from the other covers, but I, until I have it, I can't release it. So he's work. I know he's working on it right now. He's so busy. That is coming. We'll have it up for people to see before the end of the month. And there's also signed copies and sketching also available at certain levels. Yeah. So Colin agreed. I twisted his arm and he agreed to do 20 sketches. And then I think I added another level with sketches and some variant cover books because the 20 sketches were in the original cover. And then I didn't even ask him. I just, I just volunteered him for a few more, <laughs> a few more sketches. So sorry, Colin. Um, I'm sure he doesn't mind. And then uh, you can also get a sketch from David and we put that at a higher tier. I say they're sketches, but they're not really sketches. Neither Colin nor David are going to be doing a convention sketch here. They're going to be beautiful pieces of original artwork that you can have within your comic book. So oh, it's going to make them really, really special. And then we also did some linen print options, I was going to say. So the covers, every cover that's out there, you have the option of getting one of those really nice oversized linen prints if you want one. So maybe I need to get T-shirts. Maybe that's a stretch goal, <laughs> too. Everybody have like a Book of Ruth T-shirt. How about like a ribbon bookmarker? Uh, I thought of actually that's been... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, do I do that bookmark though? Do I do it as like just a surprise? You've got something extra in the book because I told you I'm all about doing extras. So I did think about that. And this campaign runs through? It's one month. So because I couldn't stay up until midnight on October 31st, it goes, <laughs> in, it goes until I think 1030 on November 30th. Okay. So if you wait till 1035, you're going to be too late. <laughs> Because Meredith couldn't stay up on Halloween. I was too tired. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't keep my eyes open anymore. I couldn't either. And I was off the next day. I had planned for that so we could have some time to enjoy the area because we really haven't had much time. And the kids went out for like an hour and they were done. And I was surprised. We were pouring rain here for oh. Halloween. So our kids were out for an hour too, but I bet they were a lot colder and wetter than yours when they came home. Well, it was pretty mild that night. And well, I've only seen rain a couple times since I've been here. <laughs> we don't see much rain. Just rubbing it in. Don't talk yeah, to me. Sorry. We have snow and you've got like 60 degrees or something. <laughs> well, my son was saying the other day, I want to see snow because, you know, now you're out in the desert, but we're not too far from Mount Charleston where they actually have snow in the winter. So he will get to see some snow. You'll still be able to drive. Yes. Yes. You just won't have to shovel it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I just don't, I don't miss that. I wanted to mention something else you're concurrently working on, or which is concurrently being published under the age of Conan, Valeria. Yes. I saw that solicited and I saw your name and I was like, oh, wow, I don't believe this because I'm a Conan fan. Oh, yeah. I'm a Meredith fan. And I've read your other works. So I'm like, well, I have to get this because, you know, there's Xena there's Rose. And as you say, all your characters have some kind of faith behind what they do, either in higher power themselves. And there's also a level of love there, either romantic or just even familiar, you know, just with family, the bonds that tie them together. So for a character, well, at least Robert E. Howard's characters, that it's very brutal and macho and bloody. I know you don't go about it that way, although there's a lot of action. And a lot of fighting, but it's at a much deeper level. So this is something different for me to read in terms of Conan. 
How did you get hooked up with that project? I was talking to Marvel and, you know, they said, you know, we've got this Conan property that is available now. You could pitch a couple of stories for Conan or for Valeria. And I was like, oh, sure, let's do that. So I pitched the one Conan story that was a one shot because I didn't feel like it was enough to stretch out. But then they said, you know, we want an, an origin story for her. We're trying to do origin stories for her. And is it Bali, I would say, or Belit? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Bellet, I'm, I pronounce them all wrong, I'm sure. I remember when I was working on Wonder Woman, we were trying to figure out how to say Aegeus. Matt Idelson and I were just kept playing like how to pronounce these words. But yeah, they want an origin story. And I was kind of like, well, who is she in the Robert E. Howard story? And, and the thing that really stuck out in that Red Nails, she's being hunted because she'd killed a man. And the intimation was that she'd killed him because he had harmed a woman like she killed him for a reason like she had just cause for killing this person and I thought there's something there I saw her as at that moment being like a fighter for the downtrodden or you know the misunderstood the people who can't stand up for themselves like Conan is he kind of just goes along doing his Conan thing but he's not actively looking to help anybody he does as it you know as it works for him for gold whatever yeah you know? <laughs> Valeria, I, I felt like there's something there. And then if she is this person who's actively trying to help people and, and look after people, how did she get to the point where she's also like one of the greatest swordswomen or swords of people in all of Hyboria? What is it that brought her to that place? So I really wanted to explore both of those things and how we could weave them together into telling the story about what would make a girl in a fairly traditional culture grew up to be such and fill such a non-traditional role. And for people who are not a fan of Conan, because I know there are some that are not, just never appealed to them, this is not like that at all. So if they've read your other work, Wonder Woman, Rose, things that you've worked on and the characters that you develop, this is quite a departure in that sense, that there'll be a lot more about her as a character, as a person. And in, in a way too, you've updated the writing because Robert E. Howard stuff could be, well, you know, it's kind of of its time. This is from 1936. I think this was one of the last ones he did that was published as a novel after he passed away. And by the way, I'm great at mispronouncing names. It's like malaria, Valeria. I think that's how you say it. (laughs) No. That's how we're saying it when I talk to Marvel. So if we're wrong... Don't you worry. Somebody will let us know. (laughs) Let me tell you something. As a kid, it was Submariner because I couldn't say Submariner. I didn't get it. Yeah. I'm talking to Alan Davis about his book, Tarot, and I'm calling it (laughs) Tarot. But thank you for clarifying that for me. (laughs) So that's an exciting project you have. Anything else? I mean, I know the Kickstarter is going to take a lot of your time. I know people that work on them, believe it or not, even though it's running, there's a lot to be done. But beyond that, and what would follow that if it's successful, what else did you want to work on? Or what else do you have that you can share? If anybody's been following my blog, I had a bit of an accident earlier this year where I came off of my horse that I was riding at the time. And I broke my collarbone and I broke my thumb and I I couldn't walk for two weeks because I tore a bunch of ligaments in my hip and my thigh. In that moment, I spent basically a month just sitting on my chair and all I could do was work. It was like an enforced period of rest for me for the rest of my life. I had been feeling at that time like I was going, I was working on Valeria and I was working on Ruth and I, I think I was working on another project, Fantasties, which Cave has announced they're working on that'll be coming out in 2020. So I was working on all these different things. 
and I've started homeschooling our youngest and I was just feeling like I was going in a million different directions and I couldn't catch my breath. And it was almost like that fall was like a moment of forcing me to stop and just take a breath and refocus. So as the years gone on, I've just been trying to check off those boxes of things that I felt like I was loving, but it was too much all at once. And so once I got Fantasties done, I sort of said, okay, now I've got Valeria and the Book of Ruth that I'm working on. And then I've just this week wrapped up the final dialoguing and lettering copy of Valeria. So, and Ruth, we're doing the Kickstarter for, but I don't, I don't actually have anything except for, you know, a project that I'm working on with Colin because I haven't felt like I was ready to go out and commit to a project again. You know, homeschooling a kid is, is a lot of, <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> I wouldn't change it for the world, but it's meant that I have to be much more selective about the projects I'm taking. And I've found that I love my creator own stuff so much. I'm really blessed that I'm, you know, we're in a position that I can just do that. So it has to be before I were to look at the next DC or Marvel project, it had to be some, like a character that really spoke to me and I felt like was 100% right for me and that I could do something with that character. And I'm not a great one for going after somebody else's job. So, you know, I'm like, oh, you're doing such a great job on such and such. I'm not going to pitch for a book that is already being written by somebody who I know and respect. So, yeah, I'm just kind of, I feel like, if you continue to put good work out there, then things will happen and the right project will come. So I'll just keep focusing on, unless I have like a massive idea, Dave and I are working on it. He wants me to do a creator own project with him too. So, you know, there's that. Um, he's constantly like, when are you going to write my project? When are you going to write my project? <laughs> there's always something hovering that I'm always writing. It's just a question of what I'm writing. So nothing aside from Ruth right now, though, that's it. That's my, that's my baby for the moment. This is the time of the show where I kick back with the creator and I ask some fun questions. I have some new ones that you haven't okay. answered, just a few. And one of them is what grinds your gears? What gets on your nerves? But not to be negative, on the other hand, what makes you happy? So two sides of the same coin bothers you. And then what brings you back around? What bothers me? I'm sure my family would answer. <laughs> <laughs> answer this they're like oh what doesn't bother Meredith no um I don't know I think I just sometimes if I get bothered or frustrated by something it's because like if I'm driving and I get frustrated it's really not a question of me getting frustrated I'm not really frustrated with that person it's what grinds my gears is feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. if I'm feeling like I'm late or I have too much to do that's going to cause me to grind my gears and then yell at people for not doing exactly what I expect them to do. So right. why did pressure. you not use your signal or what are you doing in the drive through? Why is it taking you five hours to pay a dollar fifty for a cup of coffee? That kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so Dave's telling me that self doubt grinds my gears and he's not, <laughs> he's not wrong. Self doubt grinds, you know, I think for a lot of creators yeah. and yeah. then what makes me happy, I have to say that getting outside of all the things, it's part of the reason why I love going out to the barn or walking the dog or raking the leaves. There's something so peaceful and soothing about being outside. And I can't get that anywhere else. Not going, working out for an hour in the gym. There's just, I could be in the worst, cruddiest mood 
And after being outside for 15 minutes, I just, everything's good. I agree with you 100%. I like to go hiking. I like to go running out here. Well, I call it running, jogging. But when I yeah. do it, it's early. And the thing out here is that when the sun is rising or setting, the sky is like that nice rosy color. Mm -hmm. And there's mountains. I mean, oh, like, yeah. no matter how yeah. crappy your day is, I just say, look at the mountains. <laughs> so you, you feel so better. Pretty. It's so pretty. Yeah. So it's just nice to be out and be more in touch with nature. And for me, it takes away a lot of the frustration like I share with you when I'm driving. And someone's just doing what they're doing normally when they're driving to work. But because I'm under pressure that I put on myself, and it's not going to make a whit of difference if I'm a couple minutes late as long as I get my work done. Yeah. But I'm like, I just self-imposed, you know, yeah, and no, I, know, yeah, I know how we, you feel like I'm pulling change out of my pocket. <laughs> yeah, we do. I'm like, I'm pulling change out of my pocket to pay for the person who can't find their change. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and other, take that long. And other times you don't care. It's like, whatever. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's no problem. Take your time. <laughs> have a lovely day. Yeah. Now, do you have any regrets about the one that got away? And for me, when I refer to that, it would be a comic that I should have bought that I was like, nah, it's all right. I've never seen it at that price again or it could have been a piece of art. I know for some people it's a concert that they should have gone to and they didn't. And my Meredith, my executive co-producer, it was not going to a Jon Stewart concert way back before he was big on Comedy Central. And he was right at the university and she's like, oh, I wish I'd seen him. Yeah, you know, okay, I would say... Dave and I went to Las Vegas a few years ago when Celine Dion still had her show, like her first show in Vegas. I wish I'd gone. Like, I wish I'd made us go. Dave was kind of like, ah, oh, let me go to that. And But I just love her. She And she's Canadian and she's so great. So I wish that I'd <laughs> go Canada. I mean, she was like the soundtrack for university. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what girl in university didn't play My Heart Will Go On a thousand times? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get to see any shows when you were out here? We saw um, a couple of the uh, Cirque du Soleil shows. Yes. We've seen a few of them now. And then we saw David Copperfield. Oh, okay. Which, not to knock David Copperfield, but it felt like maybe he wasn't as excited. Oh, not a good day for him. Maybe not. Maybe okay. it was, he, was, he was having an off day. I felt like it should be more exciting because he was doing exciting stuff for me. It was exciting for me. I've been at concerts like that where I've seen somebody two different times. And one time they're just kind of like going through the motions, you know, like yeah. they're, they're doing the gig. And then the other time they seemed really into it. You know, same place. They just weren't feeling it, you know. But that should get paid for though, right? You got to <laughs> be on. <laughs> you said you saw Cirque du Soleil. Did you see the Beatles' love? Yes, we've seen that one. We've seen what's the other Beatles one? Oh no, it wasn't the other Beatles one. We saw Michael Jackson. Oh yes, amazing. I love that one. Um, we saw where is it? Not in the wind, maybe. No, that's the wind is the water one. I've seen a few of them now. I don't know. I'm embarrassed. I should know. I know. That's I all right. <laughs> no, but the, I did see the Beatles love one. That went by so fast for me. No, it did. Yeah. But yeah. it was great. There was things that I didn't expect. I think it's still running. I know the sign's still up on the side of the building. It's been there forever. It's probably still up in the airport. So I'm yeah. Sure Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? And I can think of a thousand things that would save me a lot of grief and aggravation if I knew those when I was younger, or at least believed those when I was younger, <laughs> even though people were telling me these things, I didn't believe it until I actually experienced it. You know, it's so hard 
Because you look back, I think that when you're younger, you sort of go through those stages where you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I'd been smarter and not made those decisions. And now, you know, I'm in my 40s and I kind of look back and like, I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything that I've done or even like mistakes I've made. And part of me wants to say I would tell myself to be more confident and believe in myself, except that that whole journey of and taking the trip is what gives me the ability to tell the stories I tell. Like, I think that's part of what I love about being a writer. Like you have heartbreaks in your life and times where you're just lying on the floor sobbing. But those are the moments you tap into when your character's going through something that's equally awful. So I don't know, like I try to, I kind of give myself advice, my younger self advice all the time. But right now I'm a 16 year old boy and I don't really listen. So <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's me. He's like the younger male version of me. But mm, mm-hmm. again, like I was when I was 16, he knows everything. So he doesn't need the advice. You got to kind of at the end of the day, I think you got to like run into those walls and fall into those pits and drag yourself out of them and figure it out on your own. Well, it makes us stronger if we do. And there are no shortcuts in life. You have to go through the pain to reap the rewards, I guess. Yeah. As much as we try to like pave the way for our kids, I think we end up hurting them in the long run. Yeah. They have to stumble and fall sometimes and pick themselves up. I just try to give them a little bit of advice because I know coming from me, they don't usually want to hear it from a parent. It comes from somebody else, it's better. Or you let them think they figured it out themselves. I'm not good at that. Apparently, I'm very opinionated. And when I give somebody, I think I'm just like gently giving them my opinion. It comes across as me telling them what to do. So there you go. I'm trying. I think I'm soft pedaling it. I work very hard at that. Trying to like suggest things, recommend. Well, I would try. It was me. I have no power. So I have to do things that way. (laughs) (laughs) Meredith, thank you so much. I'm glad uh, we had a chance to connect again and talk about the Book of Ruth Kickstarter running now. So folks, act soon. It ends November 30th, around 10 o'clock. Yes. Be- yeah. Get in, get in there before 10. Don't wait till November. 30. Get in now. We're already over 30%. Let's just get to 100 and then I can relax. <laughs> Meredith, thanks again for being on Creator Talks. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Okay, folks, before signing off this week, I have two very important announcements. One, speaking of Kickstarters, Tales from Nocturnia, number one and two, has a Kickstarter now. That's by Matt Knowles and Stephanie Cannon. Both have been on the show before speaking about Tales from Nocturnia. So this is active right now. Please go to Kickstarter and check it out if you like some medieval madness with some steampunk sensibility. Also, I know this wasn't a very long episode this week. A good one, but not very long, so I feel a little guilty about that. And I think what I'm going to do is issue another podcast next week. I won't make you wait two weeks for this one. It's about the same length as the one I did today with Meredith Finch. And uh, this guy, oh, you probably heard of him, uh, Alan Davis. He's done a few things. Alan Davis has a book coming out in January, Tarot. It's an Avengers vs. Defenders miniseries. Four issues. So I'm going to discuss that a bit with Alan. We can't talk about it too much because it would ruin a lot of the surprise. We talk a bit about his art influences and he kicks back with the creator and answers my fun questions I ask all my guests. 
Until then, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. You can see my Saturday Silver Age, Sunday Bronze Age, or sometimes I can't tell if it's silver or bronze if it's right on the border there, 7071. But I will post those books from my personal collection on Saturdays and Sunday for your pleasure. Please share your thoughts and memories of your favorite books in your collection. If you have a moment, please rate and review Creator Talks on Apple Podcasts. Maybe it's iTunes. I don't know. It depends on which OS you have. But (laughs) a kind word or constructive criticism is always appreciated. And please spread the word. Word of mouth is probably the strongest way to get people to check out podcasts. So anyone who likes comics, creators, hey, this one's on YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, any place you find podcasts, it's there. And it's free to subscribe. I am working diligently to bring you more interviews with creators, so stay tuned for Creator Talks. This has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.